Welcome to Addiction in Simple Terms. My name is Dr. Julian Keats. I'm a specialist in addiction medicine with over 10 years' experience assessing and treating drug and alcohol-related problems. In this podcast, I explain some of the important ideas in addiction to help you make sense of your experiences and hopefully make some changes for the better in your life. This is episode five in a series. In episode one, I spoke about how addiction works in the brain. In episode two, I covered how addiction, dependence and substance use disorders are diagnosed. In episodes three and four, I discussed some of the factors that influence initial experimentation and ongoing regular drug use. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the development of addiction, including physical and psychological dependence, I'm going to touch on the risks and harms of drug use and how these increase with more frequent and heavier use. And I'm going to look at how some people get stuck in a cycle of addiction. I'm going to use the term drugs to refer to all drugs of addiction because that's easier to say than alcohol and drug use or substance use. When I use the term drugs, that applies to cigarettes and alcohol because alcohol is a drug too pharmaceuticals or prescription drugs, such as Oxycontin, Valium and Xanax, and to the illegal or illicit drugs that people more typically think of, such as cannabis, ecstasy, methamphetamine, cocaine and heroin. Let's make a start. I often hear the phrase, addiction doesn't discriminate. I take that to mean anyone with enough drug use can develop addiction. No matter how smart or rich or healthy they are to begin with, no matter how much potential or opportunity they've got going for them, no matter how much they've got to lose. And I think that's true. Addiction doesn't discriminate. But I also think it's true that some people are more susceptible to developing addiction and are more likely to become addicted earlier or at lower levels of use than others. There's not an addictive personality, or one addiction gene. But there are some factors that increase your likelihood of being exposed to drug use, to experimenting with drugs, and to going on to use them again in a pattern of ongoing use, whether that be occasional, regularly, frequently, or heavily. Not everyone who tries drugs uses them again, and of those that do use them in an ongoing fashion, only a proportion will develop addiction. That said, I do think it's ongoing regular use that sets the stage for addiction to develop. With enough repeated frequent drug use, changes begin to develop in the brain and nervous system that form the biological basis for addiction. The level of drug use needed to produce these changes, how much, how often and for how long, is different from person to person but as little as a few weeks of daily or several times a day use can produce fairly constant drug levels in the blood and the nervous system starts to adapt. We're going to talk about these nervous system changes from two perspectives, physical dependence and psychological dependence. Taken together, tolerance and withdrawal symptoms are often considered signs of what's called physical dependence. Tolerance is when the same amount of drug produces less of an effect than it did to begin with, and often a person will use more of a drug to try and get the original effect. 
Tolerance occurs because of changes in the body's physiology that accommodate or to some degree counteract the effect of the drug. It's the body trying to keep itself in balance, so to speak. Withdrawal symptoms occur when the blood levels suddenly drop in someone who's developed tolerance, such as if their supply is cut off if they run out of money or if they decide to stop using and suddenly tip everything down the sink or flush it down the toilet. Those adaptations the body has made to its physiology are still there, but suddenly the drug isn't, so the adaptations throw things out of balance and the person experiences withdrawal symptoms. Tolerance and withdrawal symptoms, or physical dependence, on their own, when they don't affect your behaviour and make you use more drugs, would not typically be considered full-blown addiction. For example, if you have a painful illness or injury, say pancreatitis or maybe serious skin burns, or a painful surgery, the doctor looking after you might put you on a morphine drip for several days or a week. That gives you a pretty constant blood level, and fairly quickly your nervous system starts to adapt. By the end of a week, that same morphine drip may start not to work so well, and you develop tolerance. And if the drip stops suddenly, say the bag runs out of morphine, or maybe the drip slips out of the vein in the middle of the night so the morphine trickles onto the floor instead, then you might experience withdrawal symptoms. So we could say you have both tolerance and withdrawal symptoms, and you've developed some physical dependence, but we wouldn't say you have full-blown addiction. In most cases like this, as your wounds heal and your pain decreases, the doctor can wean and then cease the morphine, and you eventually go home, maybe use paracetamol for a few more days, and then return to your normal life. But in other circumstances, you might respond to tolerance and withdrawals by increasing or continuing drug use if you have access to the same or similar drug and it's not locked away, like in a hospital medication cabinet. You might take more of the drug to get back to the original effect, keep taking it to avoid going into withdrawals, or if you did try stopping and got withdrawals, you might relapse to using to try and relieve withdrawals. Where tolerance and withdrawals or physical dependence are accompanied by changes in behaviour that include seeking out and taking more drugs, we would say that addiction is emerging. So that's physical dependence. Now on to psychological dependence. Before I explain that, I want to point out that psychological dependence is also a result of changes in the brain and nervous system, biological and chemical changes. It's not just all in your head, as someone might say dismissively when they don't understand or want to blame addiction on some sort of moral failing or character weakness. In fact, psychological dependence is usually much more powerful and more central to addiction than physical dependence. It's much longer lasting and more difficult to treat or overcome. So where does this psychological dependence come from? Well, this boils down to the effect of drugs on brain pathways involved in reward, motivation and self-control. Drugs of addiction activate pleasure and reward pathways in the brain much more strongly than the normal behaviours that produce reward, such as eating, drinking, sexual behaviour or nurturing behaviour in relationships. With repeated frequent drug use, these pathways start to numb themselves. Though this may decrease the pleasure or reward felt from drug use, it also decreases the pleasure from normal activities. And because the effects of these normal activities was already much milder than drug use anyway, there's a shift in priorities. 
obtaining and using drugs becomes the main priority in a desperate attempt to satisfy the need for pleasure and reward, while usual activities take on a much lower priority and tend to get neglected. At the same time, other parts of the brain involved in controlling impulses and suppressing urges are disrupted by the effect of repeated frequent drug use, so that it becomes more difficult to resist the drive to use drugs, even though there may be mounting evidence of harm to a person's physical and mental health, their lifestyle and their general functioning. These changes in priorities and difficulty controlling impulses are expressed in how a person thinks, feels and behaves in the world, and that's where the concept of psychological dependence comes from. Psychological dependence is, I think, really the most central feature of addiction, more so than the physical dependence, which may or may not be present, but certainly compounds the difficulties a person faces if it is. Okay, so we've covered how a pattern of ongoing regular use can, because of changes in the brain and nervous system over time, morph into a highly driven and hard to control addiction for some people. Let's now take a look at how this affects the risk of harmful consequences from drug use. In this section, I'm going to look at some of the common harmful consequences that can arise from drug use. As you'll see, some of these harms can occur with even one single use of a drug. These are the acute or short-term harms. These sorts of harms don't necessarily occur with every use. In fact, they might happen one in ten times, or one in a hundred times, or one in a thousand times or less. But with each episode of use, there is a risk of that harmful consequence. An example might be having a car accident whilst driving intoxicated. It only takes one episode of intoxicated driving for that to occur, even though you may have driven intoxicated many times before without any accidents. And some of these harms may be chronic or long-term harms, where there's a little bit of damage each time you use, and over some longer period of time that eventually adds up to significant harm. An example of this would be emphysema from tobacco smoking. No one cigarette does it all on its own, but every cigarette is doing a little bit of damage that in the end results in emphysema. The three broad clusters of harmful consequences I'm going to mention are mental health problems, physical health problems, and social isolation. Obviously, I'm listing these things as an illustration, not an exhaustive list. Whole books could be written and have been written on any one of the things I mention, and I only have a 15-minute podcast. Amongst the many mental health problems that can be caused or exacerbated by drug use are anxiety slash anxiety disorders, depression and related mood disorders, and psychosis. The more predisposed to these a person is to begin with, the more likely they will result from drug use, but they can occur in anyone. Remembering what I've just explained, sometimes these are acute harms and occur whilst someone is intoxicated such as having an anxiety or panic attack whilst high or experiencing hallucinations or delusions whilst under the influence. And sometimes these problems are a chronic complication of repeated drug use. Of the physical health problems associated with drug use, common short-term acute harms from being intoxicated include falls, accidents and injuries, including those from fights or violent assaults, overdose or acute toxicity or poisoning, 
which may affect liver, kidneys or heart, and infections, which are commonly related to injecting drug use or sexual behaviours. Now, though these infections might occur from a single episode, several, such as hepatitis C or HIV, can stay in your body for many years and result in long-term damage. More chronic physical health problems from accumulated damage due to repeated drug use include developing chronic pain from past drug-related injuries or exacerbating chronic pain from unrelated injuries. Liver disease, such as from alcohol or hepatitis C acquired through injecting. Cardiovascular disease, from high blood pressure, smoking of anything, or damage to the heart muscle, as can be caused by alcohol, cocaine and amphetamines. Lung disease, from smoking anything. Cancer, especially from tobacco and alcohol, and it can be cancer of things you expect, like lungs or the gut, or of other organs like kidneys, bladder, bone marrow, or in women, breast and cervical cancer. And then there's the often overlooked chronic brain damage and increased risk of dementia. And the third group of harmful consequences from drug use I've called social isolation. This includes school dropout, unemployment, ending up with a criminal record or in prison, and also the harm of being stigmatised or discriminated against for your drug use. These harmful consequences are related to how society views and responds to drug use, including criminalising aspects of drug use and possession. These can seem unfair and unjust, and are not directly from the biological effects of the drug, so there's a whole philosophical discussion there to be had, but I still consider them and the social isolation they produce part of the harmful consequences of drug use. Now we've reached the part where we try to pull these things together. In the first section, we spoke about the progression from regular use through a series of changes in the brain and nervous system to addiction, where drug use takes on a much greater priority and central role in a person's life. In the second section, we touched on a range of common mental, physical and social problems that can occur, even with a single use in the case of acute short-term harms, or that can accumulate over time in the case of chronic long-term harmful consequences. The link between these two lies in the fact that people who are addicted typically end up using drugs more often, in greater amounts, and for a longer time than those who are experimenting or those whose ongoing use has not progressed to full-blown addiction. With more episodes of use, there is more risk of the acute harmful consequences occurring, and a greater likelihood of the chronic long-term damage accumulating. What you may have already recognised, and what I'm highlighting here, is that many of these consequences of drug use also serve to increase further drug use. Things like anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and social isolation. This sets up a cycle of more drug use, more severe addiction, and further harmful consequences fueling further ongoing drug use and addiction, and so on. This is what I call the cycle of addiction. This spiralling constellation of addiction and its harmful consequences, each making the other worse. And this is what poses such a tremendous challenge for people to get out of once they've been sucked into the whirlpool. 
and that's where we're going to pull up for this episode. I kind of feel like it's a bit of a cliffhanger, like we've left our plucky hero swirling around in a cycle of addiction. But in our next few upcoming episodes, we're going to start to claw things back by reviewing treatment approaches and thinking about how change happens. Please join me next time for episode 6 of Addiction in Simple Terms.